Strategic Living with Brian Holmes. This is a special edition. Your beliefs hold the key. An interview with my great friend, Dr. Mark Sharona. Welcome, everyone, to the program today. My name is Brian Holmes, and yes, you have found the Strategic Living Podcast, where we are all about transforming minds, developing leaders, activating destinies, awakening dreams. We want to see you healed, your mind renewed. We want to see you transformed. We want to see you engaged in the process of becoming all that God has created you to be. Well, going to be an awesome program today. We're reintroducing to you a great friend of ours from a previous episode, Dr. Mark Sharona. This conversation was one of the best we've ever had on the program. We're talking about the mind and how to change your world by changing your mind. Let's get started, everybody. Well, I'm so grateful to have you with me on the program today. I'm always honored that you would take the time, and I trust that what we're going to share today will be something that makes a real impact in your journey, something that will help you to move forward, to really move the ball down the field. And I believe with all of my heart that most of what we are challenged with in our our journey, most of what we're dealing with in our lives, uh, the struggles, the the things that hold us back, and maybe the, uh, the inability to move forward in projects or in or in our business, or in our ministry, or in our life, most of what we're dealing with is a mindset issue. It's a belief issue. It's something that's deep on the inside of us in our heart. And I want today to revisit this topic, that your beliefs hold the key. And I have had on my heart for some time now to to bring us back around to talk about the battle for the mind, to talk about that when we change our mind, we change our world, to talk about how that these limiting beliefs literally paralyze us and debilitate us and move us into a place of what I call stuckness. And I tell you what, the conversation that we had almost a year and a half ago now with Dr. Mark Sharona was one of the most profound conversations we've ever had on the program. And I wanted to come back around to this subject by reintroducing you to him and to this particular episode. So let's go right now and get engaged with this conversation with my great friend, Dr. Mark Sharona. On the program today, it's my pleasure to interview and to have share with you my friend, Dr. Mark Sharona from Orlando, Florida. And I'm going to give you his official bio here so you can uh, have uh, an understanding of really who this man is and what he carries. Because when we get into the conversation in just a few moments, we're not going to have time for all these formalities. So Dr. Mark Sharona is a certified life coach. He is a prolific author of so many books, so many great uh, pieces of material. He is a pastor, a bishop. He is a spiritual leader, and he is really uniquely qualified and gifted to bridge the realms of the intellectual and the spiritual. And let me just kind of give you an idea what I mean by that. We need more people 
who can build a bridge between the sacred and the secular, the the spiritual and the practical. And Mark Sharona is one of those men who has been on the leading edge of that movement for a long time. His frequent media appearances are well-received in both faith-based and secular markets because, you see, truth and principles, those things we derive from God's Word, they're not just for Christians. They're not just for uh, those of us who subscribe to some theological bent. They are for everyone. Principles apply to everyone. Dr. Sharona is recognized for his articulate and compelling approach to modern-day and very contemporary issues. Uh, He's probably best known for his very uncommon ability to foster and release the creativity and the personal power that resides within each individual. So you're going to meet a very authentic man, a very compassionate man, someone who understands purpose and destiny and his message, his ministry, that which he brings to the marketplace and beyond has changed and transformed the lives of so many people all over the world. Now, just by way of educational and academic qualifications. Let me just tell you how deep this guy is. Dr. Mark holds a bachelor's in music and education, a master's in divinity and theology, a master's degree in psychology, a PhD in theology, and right now is in the process of earning his PhD in psychology. So this guy is the real deal. But beyond all of the accolades, beyond all of the qualifications by human standards, He carries within him an anointing and a grace to speak truth and to bring revelation and impartation, and it is just a joy to have him with us today. So without further ado, let's go right now to my interview with Dr. Mark Sharona. It is an amazing privilege and a great honor of mine today to welcome to the Strategic Living Podcast my friend and a mentor uh, in my life, Dr. Mark Sharona. Dr. Mark is from Orlando, Florida and has been uh, working with us on a number of levels for, gosh, 12 or 13 years now, I believe. We met for the very first time, I believe it was in uh, Beaumont, Texas, of all places, a little hole in the wall kind of a place. And shortly after that, I made a trip over to Orlando with a great friend of ours, uh, Bishop Tudor Bismarck, and we were able to meet at, at Dr. Mark's ministry there. And our relationship has blossomed into a friendship, a mentorship, I certainly look to him as one of the people that I talk about often who is in my upline, somebody that I garner so much strength, so much knowledge and wisdom from. Man, thank you for taking the time to be on the program today. I know our, our listeners are going to really enjoy this. Thanks for being here. Hey, right. It's an honor to be with you. And just so you know, the uh, the feeling is mutual impartation goes both ways. I deeply appreciated your input in my own journey as well. It's changed my life. Well, thank you so much for that, man. And well, I tell you what, our our program here, as you know, Dr. Mark, is about transforming minds, developing leaders, activating destinies, really setting people into motion as it relates to their purpose and their calling in life. And one of my great desires, di- desires rather, birthed out of my own experience, is to see people really healed because I believe there's a lot of well-intentioned people, a lot of people who desire to do great things that are broken on some level, their belief systems are in some way limited. And my heart, and this program is dedicated, frankly, to helping people to become all God has called them to be. And I know that's the same kind of work you do, hence why we've connected on such a deep level. But uh, just I want to talk to you today about the mind a little bit 
It's a subject we've been talking about here quite a lot. Dr. Mark has a, I believe it's a master's degree. Is that correct in psychology? MA in psychology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also uh, a doctorate in divinity, if, I, if I'm correct about that. Leadership in theology. All right. So there you go. So we got a lot of doctors in the house. I'm just a, a lowly nurse here <laughs> trying to facilitate what's going on. But man, it's great to have you today. And let's just, let's just jump off here and, and talk about this subject. It has been my experience that most people that I meet have a great desire to do something unique and special with their life. I believe, frankly, it's wired into who we are. We're created in God's image, in his likeness. We are destined to do great things. There is a specific assignment on each person's life. We know these things. Why is it in your mind that people have such a struggle really tapping into that potential? What are you seeing in your work? Well, you know, at the risk of sounding like every other motivational speaker, uh, the fact is truth is truth no matter who says it or how often it's said. And buzzwords can oftentimes become so well known that we assume because we hear them, we've dealt with it. But the concept of limiting beliefs is the very reason why uh, we never access and fully actualize the greatness for which God made us. So how are beliefs formed? Where, where, where do we pick these beliefs up? It's not really in our created spirit, man. So how do we pick up these, uh, these beliefs? Well, you know, that's, you know, Brian, that's a powerful question. And what most people don't think about is the very nature of belief itself. And because we don't understand the nature of belief, we don't realize how, we internally are built to function. So um, there are different levels of thinking and being. And if we ever want to change our behaviors, we have to address every level. There's that basic level of I live in an environment. You know, Adam was, Adam was created in the optimal environment in which to achieve his grand design in God and fulfill his potential. However, uh, when he violated the covenant and was banished from paradise, every one of us has struggled with thorny environments and the sweat of our brow. So our environment, our where and our when, uh, have a profound effect. They're part of our belief system because my environment is something that either constrains me or expands me, all depending upon how I see it. And then based on whether I'm constrained or I'm being enlarged, is going to determine how I behave, which says to me what I'm going to do there, which I'm telling myself, if I'm in a limited environment or I perceive I'm in a limited environment, I'm going to ask myself, well, what do I do in this? And I'm going to probably either come up with some sort of a compensating way to cope, or if I'm in an enlarged environment, I'm going to feel creative enough to be playful and experiment. But if I'm in a limited environment and I'm dealing with limiting beliefs, and the reason why I think more of us are there than are in the other place, and you know as well as I do, we both talked about the fact that in in the world of, of uh, motivational psychology, we know that most people never achieved the greatness for which they were born. You know, who, who was it that said, was it Emerson that said most, most men die with their dreams still in them? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think, you know, 
most people do wrestle with limiting beliefs, and it, and it's because our behaviors are based on believing that our environments limit us, but then those behaviors are tied to what we believe we're capable of or not capable of, and those are rooted in how come we believe that, which goes back to early life scripts, which all affects our belief in who I am, uh, who we are, our identity, and and the fact is our identity is our destiny. So at every level, whether it's our identity, our beliefs and values, our capabilities, our behaviors, or our environment, I've got to make shifts. The good news is it's like a set of tumblers. You make a shift in one, and the rest will all come into play. Sure. You know, one of the things that that I've observed, and let me just backtrack here for those that maybe haven't listened to all of the podcasts that we've done here on Strategic Living, uh, back in episode number one, I gave you a a really pretty broad spectrum, but yet a, a real specific snapshot of what my testimony, what my life is. Just an example for you to play off of, Dr. Mark, at 11 years old, tragic things took place in my life, shifted my belief about my self-worth, my value, shifted my belief about even some you know, social interactions with people. And so at a very early age, this f- began to follow me. And, and it, just like truth, uh, untruth builds line upon line, precept on precept, and it just begins to stack on. So now for 22 years of my life, you know, I was carrying these limiting beliefs, these untruths, uh, we call them lies, uh, however you want to look at these, and they affected every decision, every choice. It affected my behaviors. It it formed my habits, and they were destructive, and they were leading me away from the fullness of what God had for me as, as opposed to towards the fulfillment of destiny. And so in, in my work, I know yours, you've been doing this so much longer than I have, but in my work, I find so many people uh, who have this pain they're dealing with and these old memories, these old thoughts. And in some cases, they're so suppressed that they're not even fully aware of why they are the way they are. But what are some of the things that you have used or some of the tools and systems you have seen that work in helping people to begin the process of unlocking those, unraveling those, and uprooting those limiting beliefs? Great question. First and foremost, one of the things that most of us are not aware of is our conceptual system. We conceive the way we conceive reality is based on the way we perceive reality. Okay. Our curse, our percepts determine our concepts. So it's like the guy who perceives that every, every problem is a nail and so uses a hammer to solve every problem. Okay. And we think in metaphors. You know, we used to want to say, well, metaphors are just the stuff that poets use to invite our imaginations to go somewhere, and rhetoricians use when they're pulpiteering uh, to impress us with all sorts of ways of painting pictures. When in actual fact, empirical psychological studies in the last five decades have proven that most of us are not aware of the fact that in everything we do every day, we're automatically operating in metaphors. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, to hear someone, one of my coaching clients, tell me, my workplace is a battlefield. Now, just having to unpack that 
in terms of that person's identity, their values, their capabilities, their behaviors. In that environment, it took 12 weeks just to begin to help him understand how that metaphor was determining the outcomes he was getting in life. So what I'm hearing you say is that we, we have filters, we have a grid through which we process opportunities, challenges, relationships, and whatever that filter is based on these beliefs, we're going to perceive that and then consequently turn that, and that becomes our reality concerning that particular matter. Absolutely, and um, Peter Senge and uh, would borrow the Thomas Kuhn uh, idea of a paradigm or a mental model that all of us have these deeply embedded mental models of how the world works. And a mental model is a way to explain my thought process about how things work in the real world. Um, it's a representation internally of the surrounding world. It isn't, it isn't the real world. It's the world inside, though, that I believe is real. So my perception becomes my reality. Mm. Um, so it's, and, and it's a model. It isn't the real thing. So, for example, when you think of, of, of how much a spoon helps you to eat or a fork helps you to eat, ultimately a fork, a spoon, are, they are models of something else. And what they're models of is the hand. So the hand was the original fork and spoon. And then somewhere along the way, a creative imagination discovered we can probably eat more neat and more tidy and less messy if we make a model of the hand that can put, be put in the hand to serve us. And so it's the same way with our mental models. We have these spoons and forks and all sorts of things inside us that we think are reality, but are, but are models of the reality that's around us. And um, they affect our intuition. They affect our imagination. They affect our capabilities. They affect our behaviors. They affect our identity. And so learning to recognize that grid and those mental models, uh, which is what those metaphors are built on, layer upon layer, is the key, unpacking those and, and bringing those to conscious awareness are the key to transformation. You know, our mutual friend and colleague, Bishop Tudor Bismarck, many years ago, one of the first things I think I ever heard him teach, actually, in 1996, he did a session on life is lived on levels and experienced in stages. And he talked yeah, about, yeah. about the metaphor of, of even like school uh, years, how you graduate from one class grade to another class grade, and then eventually from high school into university, and then university into career, or whatever the case may be. And at each stage, there is a test. At each level, there is a test. I find that people are, are they come to these threshold moments, and, and God has made available to them a new season, a, a fresh set of circumstances uh, opportunities that are just mind-blowing, and they come right to the door of that, and then they, in some way, form or fashion, talk themselves out of it because of, again, limiting beliefs. And it's almost as, and then if they do happen to step into that new room, they sabotage the opportunity because they don't feel like they're worthy, they don't feel like they're capable, they don't deserve it, whatever the case may be. 
how do we begin to help individuals to to get beyond limiting beliefs? How do we uh, coach or mentor folks through the process of identifying, eradicating, and ultimately replacing these destructive limiting beliefs? It's it's the one thing that is the most simple observation, but the most complex to understand. Solomon said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Jesus said, as well as Solomon, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We often misquote the verse uh, about the power of the tongue. We say it this way, life and death are in the power of the tongue. But that's not the order in which Solomon expressed it. He said, death and life. And he said that because after careful observation with great divine wisdom of human nature, he was able to observe, evaluate, and summarize that we are more prone to speak death before we speak life, not realizing that, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, says the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. And so the way to help people overcome their limiting beliefs is we've got to get them in touch with their self-talk. Okay. Because embedded embedded in their self talk, so let's, let, let's embedded in their self talk are all the metaphors that are going to give you the clue to what the what those operators are deep inside their unconscious. Those what I call them the embedded reporters. Um, you know, it's not been until the last three wars, three since the Gulf War, where we had what they call embedded reporters. Those guys that actually were in the SUVs that where the RPGs were, they were actually in real time. There were guys that were on the front lines before, but never embedded with an actual troop um, in the middle of, of, of major battles. And, and I think inside we have these embedded reporters, these, these parts of our personality that are always reporting to us this is going on. So let, for example, my client that, that said his workplace was a battlefield. So everything in his metaphors uh, revealed to me that he had a posture of war in every area of his life. Um, and, and it wasn't just his workplace. It was in his marriage. Uh, it was in all his relationships. So he would look at arguments as um, uh, and disagreements as she attacked every weakness in my argument. I demolished everything he tried to say to me when he argued with me at the office. I've never won an argument with my boss, all war, all meant all metaphors that were limiting his ability to connect at deeper, more interpersonal levels with all the people that really mattered most of his life. And it was sabotaging his success. Now I'm going to go back a ways. One of the, the books that I read of yours, gosh, it might've been 10 years ago. I'm not sure, but beyond a shadow of a doubt, you talked uh-huh. a lot about some of these principles and how, yeah. This doubt, this self-doubt, the self-talk, which reveals the self-doubt and the the unbelief, if you will, uh, those things really are the the critters that are literally locking us in place, holding us back from realizing our dreams. And and I know, absolutely, I know that you are a person who has studied dreams, and this awakening the dreamer within you concept is something that is near and dear to my heart because I believe there are so many people that have dormant dreams that are just waiting to be awakened. Talk a little bit, if you will, about the importance of being a dreamer and how we go about awakening these dreams. 
Wow, it's a great question. And again, I think it goes back to our culture has been conditioned to have to have a rational, logical, reasonable way of approaching life. So we want blueprints. And listen, blueprints are fine. However, if you look at the order of creation, long before there were fruit-bearing trees, there had to be a blue sky over them. And I think we need to begin to look back to a moment in time when we lived under a blue sky. Because if you're looking for a blueprint before you live under a blue sky, the best you're going to do is come up with rehashed principles and other people's methods of getting success instead of dreaming under an open heaven and learning to be childlike in your faith to allow your imagination to go places that it only went when you heard your mother or father read you a bedtime a time story that started with Once Upon a Time. And I think the greatest Once Upon a Time is Genesis 1-1, In the Beginning God. And I think all of us need to come back to an in-the-beginning God moment where we come under this blue sky. This The heavens were created first. And heaven is God's home. Walter Wink says that heaven is the home of the possibles. So the awakening of the dream is to me this place where I give myself permission to come back to this blue sky thinking that logical, rational, strategic thinkers, you know, the Six Sigma uh, whole um, uh, movement in the corporate world is built on hope is not a strategy. Well, I know hope is not a strategy, but it's a very real, affective, effective way to awaken my ability to come up with a strategy because without hope I have nothing to desire or to expect because hope is desire married to expectation, which means I can't come up, you know, and I, I listen, I, I'm not about to go after the brainchild of the guys, that, the guys that produce six Sigma, uh, the strategy, they're brilliant. Uh, and, and I know what they're saying when they say hope is not a strategy, but uh, what what we're missing is the affective side. I need to be a dreamer first. I need to understand that desire, there's got to be a want to. And then there's got to be a want to that's hooked up to an expectation that it not only there's a want to, but there's a, a will to, that it, that it can actually happen. And then that I'll get a chance to. So I think that's the foundation. The blue sky precedes the blueprint. Wow. The the blue sky idea, am I understanding that to be juxtaposition to a cloudy, dark sky, things that have accumulated over time, or is it a different metaphor you're trying to draw there? Absolutely. Because you know as well, listen, I don't know. I don't have to tell you. Your, your, your whole um, breaking the ties that bind is all about the unfinished business in people's lives that clouds their thinking, clouds their vision, 
clouds their decision-making, clouds their ability to relate and connect. So absolutely, um, a cloudless sky. Now listen, there are some clouds that are wonderful because they send rain. Yes. But the, the constant oppressive storm clouds that are contrary, blowing winds contrary to where we're supposed to be, that's not, that's not the intention of, of the God who designed us for greatness. That is, that is a sinister intention, and it's meant to diminish us instead of deliver us. So would you agree then that maybe the baseline of, of the process for each of us is to seek out processes of healing and processes of discovery to not so much just try to scientifically determine what's, what's our limiting beliefs, but to begin to really research and look at and, and discover what, what's in there and what, what moments in my life did I take a right turn when I should have taken a left turn and, and just begin to unpack that. What, what are the processes you see taking place? Yeah, I, I think, and I, again, I think it, it goes back to start paying attention to what you say when you talk to yourself. Hmm. We are only conscious of 30% of our self-talk. Oh, wow. The other 70% we're unconscious of, and it's mostly negative. However, you know, I can say, um, well, I mean, listen, we've just, we just killed a rattlesnake. Um, we've got, we live by a lake, so we've got water moccasins, rattlesnakes, copperheads. We've got them all. And uh, we just killed a rattlesnake recently at our back door. Now, I could say all I want that as long as I didn't open that door, I would have never known the rattlesnake was there. However, the rattlesnake was there, <laughs> whether I opened the door or not. Yes, yes. And I think the, the world of positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman, and, and the world of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and and the great work of Dr. Ellis and Dr. Dr. Beck and all the others that that talked about you know cognitive changing your beliefs changing changes your behavior and your mood. Uh, if seventy percent of my self talk is negative and goes undetected, does that mean I am unaffected by it? And the answer is no, mm. because I'm telling myself things that are self sabotaging but I'm not conscious of them because I'm not paying attention to my internal dialogue, but it's having an effect whether wow. I want it to or not. I'm, I'm reaping what I'm allowing to be sown into my life, even if I'm not conscious. I mentioned in a previous podcast that, that in my estimation, that's why Paul used this metaphor, gird up the loins of your mind. Why don't he use that term? Yeah. Because that, that's the reproductive region. These, these negative thoughts, beliefs, whether detected or not, are constantly reproducing offspring. And, Absolutely. And that family's growing in, in our minds and our hearts. And as you've already brought out so adequately here, that's limiting our forward progress. It's keeping us from moving into the greatness that we were designed to experience. Let's just begin to, to wrap this. And I want to put a bow on it here by asking a, a little bit of a loaded question. Not everybody that I reach out to is a Christian or a evangelical believer. And certainly I know that the world that you move in, you move in and out of all those worlds as well. But one of the things that's very close to my heart is uh, I've traveled an average of about 70 to 90 days per year for the last 10, 11, 12 years. Uh, actually, for the last, I'm sorry, the last 17 years. 
And I've been in hundreds, maybe thousands of of churches and ministry events and conferences. And it's pretty much the same everywhere I go. And that is that people are saved. People do have a relationship with God, and theoretically they, they know God. Yet they are, they've not crossed over into what we, you and I refer to as a kingdom life, a prosperous life. They're not tapping into their potential. And, and in many cases, it's because of a, a brokenness, because of these limiting beliefs we're talking about. And how do we begin? This is the loaded question. How do we begin bridging the gap between classical theology and religion and church as we know it and helping individuals to really deal with these soulish issues uh, because the soulish issues go far beyond soul ties. That's one factor, but soul ties is one element. But the beliefs are held there, the, the memories, the wounds, the hurts, the suppositions, they're all held there, the emotions, the feelings. How do we begin to bridge the gap practically to help people deal with limiting beliefs who really desire to stay in a biblical mode? Wow, that's a That's a loaded question. question. That's a loaded question. It's, <laughs> it's a great question. I think on, let, me, let me answer it on two levels. Um, the first thing that I was reminded of was when I was in high school, Mao Zedong was the, the major, major figure in Asia that was going to change the shape of the nation. And um, he vowed, if you give me your children for the first five years of their life, I will have them for their whole life. Mm -hmm. And the scripture, which is, it, it really is a biblical principle, train up a child sure it is. in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. So at a primary level, most of what we're talking about has its roots in our formative years. And because we live in a culture that values logic and rationale, we don't realize how much we lose by the time we're seven of what it means to be childlike. And there have been numerous studies done in developmental psychology as it relates to imagination and creativity and how in the Western world we kill it by the time a child is seven because of the way we're training them. So we are expert, I agree, in our theology in the West, but we are Christian atheists because our experience of God is null and void. What we have is a relationship with a system of beliefs about God without practicing the real presence of God. Mm. So we've learned how to be adult in our theology, but we forgot that Jesus said when it comes to faith and the kingdom, except you become as a little child, you can't even enter into it. And so it's one thing to be adult in our theology. We need to be childlike in our faith and trust in Jesus. Mm. It begins by becoming childlike all over again and letting the child of God that we are begin to find those imaginative, creative, and I even want to use Len Sweet's word, playful ways of relating to God the Father. And we've lost that, and uh, 
we've fulfilled, you know, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And when you look carefully in Matthew 11 at the weary and heavy laden, it's the people that he says, God's hidden things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed it to babes. And it was pleasing in God's sight. So when we get too smart for our own good, uh, we don't know what to do with our emotional issues, our dashed hopes and dreams that got killed somewhere early in childhood, and our hunger for the thing that theology can't give us and only God can give us. Jesus said you search the scriptures because you think that in them you find eternal life, but you refuse to come to me. And so, Brian, I, I, think, that, I think that the healing of the soul is essential to this childlikeness. You know, when Jesus appeared at the Sea of Galilee, when Simon Peter decided he was going to go back and be a fisherman, and he took six of his buddies with him, and they fished all night and caught nothing, just like when Jesus first met him in Luke 5. When Jesus is there on the beach making breakfast, here's the resurrected Savior who lowers himself to the point where he's making breakfast for these, these guys who still doubt that he's alive, even though he's appeared to them before. And they don't even recognize him. But his words to them, his words to them, and, and it's so powerful to me. He doesn't call them apostles. Almighty men of God, he says, children, mm. have you any have you any meat? And, you know, he is, Isaiah says, he's the everlasting father of the new race. That's not to equate him with God the Father, he's God the Son. But in terms of his work, he is the everlasting father, the progenitor of the new creation race. And so he's inviting them to be children and to be playful. They've taken themselves way too seriously, and they've worked really hard and they've forgotten how to play, and he is inviting them to play all over again. Fantastic. We've forgotten how to do that. Anyway. Well, I tell you, you know, we could talk all day, and we will definitely pick this back up again sooner rather than later. But I, I want to just say this as we close it out. We have a great opportunity ahead of us because people uh, in our nation where you and I live in the U.S. and nations all over the world, and by the way, we, we've received emails and voicemails from literally all over the world since we've released this podcast, and people are hungry. People are hungry for a better life. They, they know intuitively that there's something more for them, and I believe we're on to something here, and our commitment is to continue to bring a message not just of hope, because hope deferred makes the heart sick. People have heard hope, 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 and they've, they've not found a practical way to tap into that. And I want to bring just messages like this, people like Mark Sharona, to our audiences so we can continue the work of, of unlocking people from places of destitution and hopelessness and bring them to a place of success and prosperity and fulfillment and just destiny being revealed in their lives. So... I want to say to you on behalf of our audience, man, thank you. Thank you for taking time. And it's just a, I'm, I'm so honored that you would do this for us and with us and uh, just appreciate so much your relationship. Any closing thoughts you want to add? No, I'm, I, listen, I'm, I'm just delighted and honored to spend the time with you. And I'm, what I'm looking forward to, Brian, is for all of your friends that are listening that uh, you and I are going to be doing some stuff together that we've been talking about and just to be able to, take some of the things we're talking about and give people the tools 
to become the people that fulfill the dreams that God has intended them to fulfill. That's exciting. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. We're not going to say too much about it here, but just know this. Dr. Mark Schroen and myself, we, we've been praying about this, discussing this, and we're really working toward bringing some opportunities to you and to our, our friends all over the world to come together on occasions and do some intensive work together so that we can be literally, in a, in a quantum sense, moved forward in just a matter of days and moments. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that as well. MarkSharona.com is a website you need to write down. This will be linked in our show notes, of course. And Dr. Mark, is there any particular books or projects you're working on now you want our audience to know about? You know what, Brian? I've got, I've got a, a number of new books that are out, but I would, based on what we talked about today, I would encourage them to go back and read Stepping into Greatness and Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. Both of those are part of the series of books I did on this. And then the newest one is Obtaining a Harvest from Your Seed of Dreams, uh, which covers how to, you know, a number of issues in terms of belief systems and, and the soil of our hearts, everything we've talked about. Um, and so they can certainly, whenever else they find there that, that, that speaks to them and resonates with them, uh, that'd be great. I think those three, though, would be um, a great place to start. We will link to MarkSharona.com in our website, and I will also provide a description and some uh, links to these three particular books in the show notes. So uh, if you're listening out there, be sure to check that out. Dr. Mark Sharona, thank you for being with us, man. We love you, care for you deeply, and uh, just God bless all of your work, and we wish you the very best, man. Thanks, bro. I love you much, man. Wow. What an amazing discussion. And I know that you heard a number of things in this interview that resonated. I encourage you to go back and listen to it again. Take notes. In fact, if you were driving while you were listening to it, man, find a place to sit down with a good set of headphones or earphones and just absorb some of the great truths we've just talked about with you today. Well, you can find all of the information about this program about Dr. Mark Sharona at brianholmes.com. We'd love to hear from you, your comments, your questions, or any engagement you'd like to, to engage with us on. Hey, especially on Facebook, we're there quite a bit engaging with you in conversation. Join us there on these social media platforms. A couple of announcements for you very quickly before we go. If you would like to become a coaching client and have me personally come alongside of you, to coach you through identifying and locating and isolating these limiting beliefs. I'd love to have that conversation with you to see if it might be a fit for you to take your life to the next level. You can contact us at brianholmes.com forward slash coaching. We'd be happy to talk to you about that. If you'd like to have me speak at your church or your conference or your leadership event, just check us out at brianholmes.com forward slash speaking and you can submit a form there to engage us in conversation about that. Well, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, our weekly updates. You can do all of that at brianholmes.com and share this with someone that you care about. Until next time, God bless. We love you. We look forward to seeing you back here next week.